0: The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily those of this radio station or Delta Media Corporation, but we bet you'll like them.
1: I'm back in the saddle
2: again.
3: Pop pop it's showtime, showtime. 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 Guess who's back again?
0: Checking in from the right side of Acadia,na seeking truth. Oh, the truth. Yes. Justice. Somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. Yes.
3: And a whole lot of freedom to have fun.
0: Winning, winning, winning.
3: Yes. Yeah.
0: This is the Rush Report.
2: In downtown Lafayette, a special edition, a remote Uh, edition of the uh, Ross Report brought to you by Beal and Aber Attorneys at Law. And I have with me today, absolutely right now, immediately, because we want to get right into it. We'll thank our Patriot sponsors in just a minute. But Lance Beal and Kenny Aber are with me here in downtown Lafayette. And I really appreciate you all being with me and and sponsoring the program today, taking it on the road and taking it in a different direction because you all have, have a very, very practice. And it's not Often that you see someone handle both sides of the the plaintiff and the defense and the public service side with the DA's office. So I really appreciate you all coming in, Lance. Let's start with you. Let's get a little bit of background. We like to do a little bit of background on. Uh,
1: well, first of all, thanks for having us on the air. Uh, thanks for bringing some uh, uh, the remote down down Lafayette, as we love. Uh we love being downtown Lafayette, and especially during this season of Mardi Gras.
2: Oh yeah, it's, it's kind of fun downtown. It absolutely is. People have their Mardi Gras flags out and everything. So, just tell me a little bit about you and, and your background. Uh, you?
1: A little bit about myself. I'm, I'm yeah. from here in Louisiana. Graduated from Turlin's Catholic. Uh, uh, ended up joining uh, the military right before 9/11. Uh, ended up spending um, uh, four years enlisted. Got commissioned as an mm-hmm. uh, Army officer. Uh, you are
2: still in the National Guard? No, too? no I got, you I got, just got out. No, I, got, okay. I got
1: out back in the 2013. Uh-huh. Uh, so after uh, my uh, combat deployment to Afghanistan, I uh, uh, decided to go into mm-hmm. uh, into law. And so this has been my That's second great. career.
2: Kenny, how, how about you?
0: Yeah, I'm from uh, I'm from New Iberia. You know, mm-hmm. right down the road. Um, graduated from Catholic High, uh, went to Baton Rouge for law school and for undergrad. Had a hiatus of two years in Morgan City doing some in-house counsel work with an mm-hmm. uh, oil service company down there. From uh, from then we moved here to Lafayette. My wife and our and our three boys. Um, we didn't have all three at the time, but now we do. Um, and uh, I've been a prosecutor and had a civil practice ever since then.
2: I'll be doing prosecutor too. You all both do work for the DA. We we both do. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. What what are some of the cur. The most prominent cases that you're seeing now, most prevalent cases, what are the cases that you're seeing that are really clouding, clouding up the docket or loading up the docket right now?
0: Criminal type cases, is that your question, or civil? Criminal,
2: civil, mostly criminal. Let's look at the criminal side.
0: Sure. So, so criminal-wise, you know, you're always going to have a lot of property crimes. Um, Lafayette Parish, just like every parish in the state. You, you see a lot of burglaries. You see a lot of thefts. Um, you, you find that as we build more subdivisions, those burglars pop up more because uh, these uh, these folks that decide that they're going to commit these crimes, they go into one neighborhood, they go from car to car to car to car to car to car, and they can hit a lot of cars at
2: once. And the law enforcement tells people all the time, don't leave your guns, don't leave your computers, yep. don't leave your stuff in the car. The, 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 the thieves find that those are the, most, the easiest things to break into. Yep. Right, Lance?
1: Oh, very very much like uh be a lot of times in these subdivisions that uh just tr- traditionally a very safe neighborhood and that in street and people just out of habit sometimes don't don't uh lock their doors Yeah, cuz they
2: never have and so it's okay and no it's not okay anymore and not in this world right. Lance you and I were talking a little bit about the the fentanyl issue that is that is really plaguing not only here, everywhere, everywhere in the country it 's just become almost a, a plague uh, on people. Uh, what are you seeing even through the prosecutor 's office? Uh,
1: we just had a, a conviction uh, back in um, in October uh, with uh, about a two week trial on a, the first fentanyl murder in the state um, the The thing that scares me the most about it is we are a college town we 're a very mm-hmm. festive town. Mm-hmm. And the amount of fentanyl that it takes to end somebody's life, it's terrifying. And
2: It doesn't uh, take very much, does it? No.
1: You can take a uh, a penny, and the size of Lincoln's nose on a penny is enough to knock somebody out. It, it's <laughs> truly terrifying.
2: It is terrifying. It's stunning to think about it. So these kids, they think they're taking a Percocet or a Lortab or something like that. Uh, and, and that's
1: even th- scarier is because you can buy pill presses now. Uh, on Amazon, and so some of these people, and they stamp these that they, they think are, are pills that right. you get it from a friend that oh this is fine, uh, and it's fentanyl and it's not the right dose, and the next thing you know it it's a um, uh, it can lead to disaster mm-hmm. because if you don't get Narcan quick enough, it, it the suppression from a hypoxia is it, it's quick and it, it it's really scary.
2: Yeah, and if you don't have somebody around with a Narcan pen or something like that immediately. It, it, it's too late. I mean, mm. it it happens so quickly. Um, what about we're seeing a lot of THC elevated marijuana and some of it laced with fentanyl and with other things. Are you seeing that too in in the drug in the drugs that are coming into this Mo- area? Most of the
1: things like for for me and Kenny, that's uh, that's not really the tracks that we're in, uh, but we are you do kind of see the residuals and the other effects that yeah, do occur. Through the
2: DA's office. On the civil side, I know you all do a lot of construction law. That's why I was saying you do both sides. Sometimes you're defense and sometimes plaintiff. But under construction law, there there are a lot of are there a lot of specific things I work with the home builders and I know they, you know, they face some you know, interesting challenges with building materials and all that kind of stuff. Several years ago, we we had the Chinese drywall that was <laughs> plaguing this area. And uh, and I was wondering. I know I I don't want to talk about the DR specifics. I know that, but that the fact that they kept they kept it in state court that was a win, was it not? That that
1: was a huge win. Uh, The federal Fifth Circuit uh, just recently uh, affirmed the Middle District uh, of Louisiana's ruling of sending the case back to state court. Mm -hmm. Um, But so that. At that point, we're just going to proceed with the case in state court in, the, in uh, East Baton Rouge, Paris, the 19th. Um, but just kind of talking about what we see in a construction law aspect, it's uh, the New Home Warranty Act. It's a preemptive period, meaning that after that time is run, your one, two, or five-year period, you lose that right. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of great bills in Acadiana. We have a lot of, of, of very responsible people, and, and they and they want to uh, They take pride in our work. Uh, At the same time, is we also have to make sure that the the buyers of these homes, their their largest investment they will ever make, exactly, is protected. Yeah. So it's finding that balance and making sure that you have that open lines of communication with your builder. You're, you're keeping like, both sides are keeping track mm-hmm. and uh, and making sure you follow that statute. And that's one of the things that our firm does a lot of is is making sure that new home buyers. Um, and, and when they have certain issues, that that communication is uh, is open with the contractor that, or that builder. Because it, everybody automatically assumes you go talk to the lawyer to an automatic lawsuit. It's mm-hmm. not the truth. A lot of times it's just making sure that the law is complied with and that there's open communication on mm-hmm. both sides.
2: Yeah, that, that can that can short-circuit a lot of... Nastiness in the future, you know. If you just have that communication, a lot of people do. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Lance Beal and Kenny Abair, Beal and Abair, attorneys at law, and they are the special sponsors of the Ross Report today. We're broadcasting from downtown Lafayette. We also want to thank all of our regular sponsors: MPW Properties, uh, Acadiana Garage Doors. Uh, we've got United Tile. We have Service Chevrolet Cadillac, Kishbaugh Construction, Dinos and Prajons, and of course, we do have a hotline for you uh 3377060113 and that's brought to you by CLB the Community Bank we'll be right back with Lance and Kenny in just a moment To the Ross Report, we're broadcasting from downtown Lafayette. Thanks to two great guys, Lance Beal and Kenny Abair. Beal and Abair, attorneys at law. We're talking. We're talking all things law. I did watch some of the uh, Supreme Court hearing this morning. That was interesting. Now, and in, you were talking about you, you. You both are assistant DAs, right? Correct. And so you were talking about the five tracks that generally it, the law falls into or the, the cases fall into.
0: Yeah, so the way that, that Lafayette Parish specifically has it set up is that um, there are five tracks which are, are overseen by five different judges, and if you commit a felony in Lafayette Parish, it's going to fall into one of those five tracks. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's, a, if it's a drug case, a, a narcotics felony, it's going to go to track one. And that's every drug case in the parish no murder, when it was committed. If it is any other type of felony, it will fall into either track two, three, four, or 5, depending on its date of offense. Mm-hmm. So if somebody commits a crime one week, I may get that case. If somebody commits a crime two weeks later, Lance may get that case. Mm-hmm. It, it, a lot of it depends on when the, the crime happened. But if it's a drug case... Pretty much every single time it's going to fall in to that track one. The only time that the other tracks will see those drug cases is if it's related to something like Lance had with his jury trial.
2: So are there specific judges that have particular expertise in, in an area or that, you know, they they funnel some cases to because you feel that that, that they've got the um, experience with that?
0: no. Uh, th- I mean all of our judges are experienced, and, and I think that we 've got a, a phenomenal bench in mm-hmm. the entire 15th j d c The track one judge is also the drug court judge, so um, so they help as far as trying to get people that have addiction issues that 's a busy court it's a very busy court, and it 's probably other than you know traffic court or misdemeanor court it 's probably yeah. the yeah. busiest court
2: traffic and misdemeanor that goes through city court it, or does it, oh, depends. Or, oh, can, it can go into district court as well
1: correct because there's something uh, Conducted in the parish uh, Outside oh, oh, okay. the city Outside and, the city come back to the state.
2: Right But it doesn't matter it, it Necessarily the level of If it's a misdemeanor Or a felony That would have a, a, Something to do With where it goes If it's a felony It goes into district court No Correct. matter what Right
0: And if it's a misdemeanor If it's felony No matter what You're going to district court right. If it's a misdemeanor If it's inside of the city limits it goes Then there c- may be A specific city oh, okay. ordinance yeah. Or misdemeanor That, that, that covers that Yeah, Yeah
2: So you know the the variety of crimes that you all have to deal with. I mean, you have to have a pretty broad knowledge of how the law works. Uh, do you find that there are certain areas that you prefer dealing with, or feel more comfortable dealing with, or you know, because you have a pretty broad practice really listed? The the way I look at it is um, on our civil side,
1: uh, we like being in court. Mm-hmm. Like me, me and Kenny and and Alan and Don and Morgan, we like being. Uh, in court as much as possible. We like trials. We we so we, we really focus uh And that's that important.
2: Practice. That's really important because there are a lot of attorneys who like to just settle out a case. They don't want to try. They but you are attorneys who like to get into court and Yeah, and, look, I've got, got some the,
0: really great friends that are lawyers that are phenomenal lawyers and, and probably much smarter than me but they they always say i hate going to court you know they don't want to go to court they want to <laughs> do anything they can to stay out of court mm-hmm. um you know we never want to have to go to court for our clients okay i mean if we can settle something before even a lawsuit's filed that's our preference we don't, we don't want our clients to have mm-hmm. to go through that we don't want our clients to have to spend that kind of money but if it's a situation where our clients need representation and they're not getting uh, the justice that they deserve, mm-hmm. then we're absolutely ready and willing to do it. And we like it. And we yeah. really do. But just because we like it, we're not going to force it.
2: No, no. And, in, you know, Louisiana has this terrible reputation. I mean, we saw it. My husband was working with Citizens Against Lawsuit Abuse back in the 80s and 90s. And so we've had this terrible reputation about being very litigious and, you know, that kind of thing and hurting our business prospects, that kind of thing. But, you know, when you need a lawyer, you need a lawyer.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean. And you want a good lawyer. And you guys, I think the way you have positioned yourself as a a hometown lawyer, you you like to get with the customers, you like to stick with the clients, uh, get into court for them, et cetera. Uh, Just
1: one of the things, talking about the the lawsuit abuses, one of the reasons why you have so many is our prescriptive period is one year. So even like in our personal injury cases that we see, people are treating and we're working towards resolutions because you come up on that one year.
2: Yeah, it comes up real fast, right? It's like quicker than you realize. Do most other states have a longer prescriptive period? Yeah. Yes. Now you talked about prescriptive and preemption. What what's the difference there?
1: Preemption is where a right is extinguished. You can't you can't you can't suspend it, you can't uh, interrupt it, it's extinguished. Like the new warranty act has a preemptive period. Mm-hmm. Whereas like normal tort cases uh, it's you have a person. It can be interrupted. There's ways that you can uh, continue those prescriptive periods.
0: But but Lance, Lance hit on a good point in that, um, you know, people talk about the number of lawsuits we have. It really is because hey, if you're hurt and maybe you don't see a lawyer until a few months after your accident, and then you got to treat for six months or seven months or eight months, and you're still not sure what's going on. Well, you're already at 12 months, mm-hmm. so you have to file a lawsuit because yeah. if you don't, I mean, you you're, you're out of luck. Yeah, you're
2: out of luck. Would it help if we were not a Napoleonic Code state? I mean, if we were with just common law or
0: i really don't think that that would make much of a difference, think that makes much of a difference? I, I think that i think that a, a two-year prescriptive period would probably help with a lot of that mm-hmm. because then you're not filing lawsuits as much um you know like i said before it, it obviously depends on what kind of case it is mm-hmm. but, you know we don't want to have to file a lawsuit we don't want to have to go to court if we don't have to we, we don't want to put our clients through that yeah um but unfortunately just the way that the law is written in a lot of ways whether it's a personal injury case or not uh, we don't have a choice
2: yeah and you you all do both you do the corporate we, we, and the personal injury and the defense and and DA and so you really have a and that's kind, that's kind of unusual isn't it because a lot of firms they just specialize very tightly and narrowly or have certain people within their firm who specialize narrowly
0: so carol whenever lance and i um, decided that we wanted to to work together and start a firm we didn't want to specialize Um, You know, we can't handle criminal cases because we're prosecutors. We can't do criminal defense. Right, right. Um, But there are so many firms that are specialized, and you know, it it just—I realize we've got lawyers in our firm that can that are specialized in different things. Mm -hmm. And we don't—we like the old way of there was one or two lawyers in town that could handle everything for you. They were your hometown lawyers, and so our thought process is: well, you shouldn't have to walk out our door if you have an issue. Okay, if you need a will done, well, we want to help you with that. If, if you get hurt in an accident, we want to help you with right. that. If you have an issue with a, a contractor, we want to help you with that. You know, God forbid you have to get a divorce. We can help you with that. There's all sorts of things that the lawyers in our firm and our staff, who are very friendly and helpful, we have the knowledge and expertise to help.
2: That's great. Well, let me tell you, it's been a pleasure meeting you all and talking with you all today. I mean, I you know, we tend to have a certain image of lawyers. You guys are very down-to-earth and, you you, you know, how, how much of your practice, how much of your time do you spend in the DA's office and how much on, on your private practice? I mean, it does it does it become very demanding, you know, on, when you're well, an assistant
1: DA? I will say this, is that uh, we have a great support staff mm-hmm. at the DA's office. We have a great support staff at our private office. Um, and we can't do our stuff without being able to... But we do stay very busy work many hours uh we are we're full-time prosecutors mm-hmm. and we also run a full-time practice um it, it but ultimately at the day like we're part of this community we've grown up in acadian mm-hmm. and we're, these are our neighbors we want to make sure we live in a in a safe uh, community we want to make sure we live in a community that you know what like we respect one another and we can find ways to resolve mm-hmm. issues and that, that that's why i think it, the way we have our practice set up is that it's we're Lance and kenny yeah and we're the guys that you know you went to high school with you we live down the street from you and uh, like come talk to us yeah. let's resolve an issue before it becomes an issue
2: that's always a good thing too you do a lot of mediation yes ma'am yeah oh, yeah. yeah i think that's smart very smart. Thank you both for coming in today and talking to us. I hope this is the first of many times that we get to visit you, and, and get the information to the people. It's We're really important. We
1: appreciate it. Thank you for having us on. Thank, Thank you. you again. We appreciate good to, that. Good
2: to meet you both. All right, uh, Milan, we'll send it back to you, and we'll be right back on the Ross Report. We're going to be talking to Jennifer Hargrave with the Lafayette Science Museum, another great entity right here in downtown Lafayette. We'll be right back on the Ross Report. Don't go away. Well, You know, I'm kind of excited about this because I was there when the Hyman Center, the Hyman grocery store, was turned into the Science Museum. Well, first it was the Lafayette Natural History Museum and Planetarium, which was a mouthful. And so then we switched it, it was switched to Lafayette Science Museum. But it has been really exciting to see the evolution of the Science Museum uh, into what it is today and now being run by the university, UL Lafayette, and we are so pleased to have with us today uh an actual paleontologist. I don't think I've ever spoken to a paleontologist before. Jennifer Hargrave, you are the director at the Science Museum?
3: I am. That's correct.
2: Well, welcome to the Ross Report. We are delighted to have you here and uh, to talk about some of the, so many of the things at the Science Museum. But first we want to know about you. A uh, little bit of uh, your bio, a brief bio of Jennifer Hargrave.
3: Sure. Um, I, I get that a lot about people saying I'm the first paleontologist they've met, um, especially around here. So. As a kid, I loved dinosaurs like everybody else. I wanted to be a paleontologist, and so that's what I set out to do. Can I ask
2: you what is it about dinosaurs? Because my grandkids were obsessed with dinosaurs. Right. What I, is it about that? I
3: think it's just the. the the possibilities of having something so big that we we don't get to see today. Yeah. It's just the it's the bit of wonderment and curiosity yeah. that we get to see with it. So is that
2: how you got kind of got into it?
3: It is. I remember when I was very small, before I could read, I had a book about dinosaurs, and I would read that before bed, mm-hmm. and it just it, it kind of stuck. I wanted mm-hmm. to travel, and I wanted to go see these things that other people haven't seen before. So as an undergrad, where, where did you do your undergrad work, et cetera? I did it at UL. Yeah, UL. Uh-huh. So okay. I'm um, originally from Natchitoches. I came down here for... Uh, School. It was far enough away from home, but not Mm -hmm. too far. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then from here, I went to got my master's at the South Dakota School of Mines in Rapid City. I did my Ph.D. at the University of Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Yep. I spent two years doing a postdoc research at Syracuse University. Mm -hmm. I taught for five years in southern Utah Mm -hmm. and then had the opportunity to come back here where there is a paleontology lab now. And so I took that opportunity to come home. So you are a doctor, and I'm sorry I didn't use oh, that. Okay. I am so, we have that's Dr. Okay. Jennifer Hargrave with us. That's okay.
2: <laughs> All right, so so through the university, you've gotten involved in the Science Museum. Um, how long have you been uh, involved, you know, running the Science Museum?
3: Um, that's been almost two years. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's actually, about when the... next uh, week will be
2: two years. Right, that's when the connection was made with the university, which I think is absolutely brilliant. It's yep. the right thing to do. How is that helping you and your students uh, because you're using it sort of as a a training field and an intern kind of deal right
3: yeah we are so it's it's really great before um the school of geosciences had some exhibit space we had the paleo lab over there anyway so we had that relationship with lafayette consolidated government with the uh, museum so then we got to kind of do a little bit more so now the college of sciences were spreading that out Besides geology and paleontology, um, but we're having classes being held there now, so the very much hands-on activities for our students. Um, We have the opportunity to do research Mm -hmm. with the facilities that we have there as well. So it's really expanding what the students at UL can do in the community as well as in the museum.
2: So what kinds of research do you do there? Um, did, does it stick in the paleontology range or is bio, it
3: yeah, You know what? Right now it's paleontology because that's, that's my expertise and we have a pretty slim staff right now. We're, we're hoping to grow it but we do have a collections of vertebrate paleontology here so we have bones of all kinds of animals from dinosaurs up into stuff maybe 10,000 years ago and so we do have yeah. current research on a local site. They're finding some Ice Age animals we have some research in Oregon with animals ranging from 5 million up to about 10,000 years old. Wow. Um, so it's a, a, a little bit of everything. You know, you talk in terms of
2: millions mm-hmm. with these. It, it's almost difficult for the average brain to wrap around that because it, it, it just seems limitless it when does. you think about it. It does. It's pretty overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. And I think more that- and more you're finding a longer time frame. For the origins of the universe, etc. Mm-hmm. How far back do you think?
3: I think the current number is 13.7 billion for the universe. For the yeah, and 4.6 billion. And that's just billion. the universe we know, right? Not necessarily the universe, right? We yeah. are finding pushing the origins of life back farther and farther with new mm-hmm. um, finds. Mm-hmm. That's always begged the question: Are there
2: other universes and? That could maybe sustain life, but maybe not
3: life as we know it. Right, I mean, that is way out of my realm. I look into the past.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you're doing the old stuff. Yeah, not, not looking forward. Yep.
3: Yeah, All
2: right, so where where is the site around it? We have some. We have some sites for like uh, Indian mounds and and human mm-hmm. uh, activities. Yeah, going way
3: back. How how far back in Louisiana have we seen some of that? I don't know about that. Um, either. I know that some of them are considered some of the oldest mounds mm-hmm. in yeah. North America. Like Poverty Point. Right. And those, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but for our fossil localities, mainly around here, it's Ice Age stuff. So 10 to 15,000 because much earlier than that, we were underwater. Mm-hmm. So we don't have dinosaurs because dinosaurs didn't live underwater. But we mm-hmm. do have other fossils that are found, shells, for example. Um, but because of where the Mississippi River is, we have a lot of that stuff buried. So we have to look around here where we've seen some erosion so along bayous or rivers so the silk might build up kind and the just over time the build up mm-hmm. the, the older stuff is buried. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Where are you, where are you seeing the the biggest um discoveries let us say um based on some of that some of the work that you've done. What are some of the big, biggest discoveries that you have seen?
3: That I think the but we do have fossils in Louisiana, because when you think about dinosaurs, you think about Montana or right. Wyoming. But we do have different kinds of animals, much younger animals and fossils here. And so that's the, we have a new exhibit that will be opening end of April, early May, that will focus on some of our, our local fossils, our Acadiana fossils, um, because we can find them here. Um, there's been some found in Lafayette. There's been some found in Avery Island, Jefferson Island. Yeah. Acadia Parish yeah. so there's, there's stuff here we just need to be looking for it I want to talk a little bit about that we're going to take a break um,
2: and come back with uh, Dr. Jennifer Hargrave She is the director of the Science Museum in downtown and by the way if you haven't taken your kids to the Science Museum what are you waiting for? <laughs> it's a fabulous place and we'll be right back on the Ross Report, don't go away True. You know that I would be a
0: liar if I was to say to you girl,
2: to the Ross Report. Girl, we're visiting with uh, we're in downtown Lafayette doing a special uh, remote broadcast of the Ross Report brought to you by band, uh, Lance Beal and uh, Kenny Abe. Bill and Hebert, Attorneys at Law. We really appreciate those fellows coming in and talking with us today and sponsoring the broadcast here in downtown Lafayette. So one of the people we've been wanting to talk to is the director of the Science Museum, and that's Dr. Jennifer Hargrave. And uh, we're really happy to have her with us today talking about some of the programs that they have and some of the offerings over there. So you all do regular tours, school kids' tours, et cetera, right?
3: We do. We're open Wednesday through Friday from 9 to 5. Saturday 10 to 6 and Sunday 1 to 6. And during the week, because most of our kids are in school, Mm -hmm. that's when we get the uh, the majority of our field trips are coming through in the morning, which includes a a planetarium show. Um, We do get some other people coming in as well during that time, but Mm -hmm. during the week, mostly what we see are are school trips and and field trips with um, with students, homeschool, as well as the public and private schools. And then on the weekends, we have more of a general population, usually families that come in. But mm-hmm. it's not just families or children. Anybody can come in mm-hmm. and enjoy some of the exhibits that we have. Do you have
2: any hand, like hands-on programs that you do maybe on the weekend for families to do or during the week for uh, when the school kids come in? You have specific programs you promote to the school system so that the teachers, the science teachers, know?
3: Yeah, we're habit. working on that. Um, So um, once a month on Saturdays, it's usually the second Saturday of every month, not this month because it's Mardi Gras. So it'll be the third one. So next Saturday, we have a STEM Saturday program that we have that's sponsored by Halliburton. And they give us um, funds and the ability to do more of these hands-on things. So I'm able to get students from UL Lafayette to come in, and they do these additional activities with the kids. So it's included in the price, and they're getting to see something and do something
2: yeah, hands on. And it's great yeah. for the students too, because it's kinda like great training for them, uh to for teaching. Most most of them will probably be like you, right? They'll be teachers and involved in organizations like the Science Museum, mm-hmm. et cetera. So yep. it's kinda good training for them. Yep,
3: and also some of the just the the different groups like the this month we have the student group of physics and next month it'll be chemistry. So they're coming in and showing what they love about their field of study, uh-huh. and some, how you can apply it to your everyday life, or, or simplifying it so you can get some of those concepts.
2: So, you know, I know the arts and education, the art teachers go into the schools. Do you have that capacity yet? Or not, you, you yet know, not yet. Not yet. I that- do
3: get lots of requests, and a lot of times it's me doing it, because I love doing it. It's another thing to do, but you're going in the mm-hmm. classroom and... and just seeing the the joy, of discovery on their faces, I love it. Mm. Um, I am developing through another grant um, with the the Brown Foundation to make STEM loaner kits, so we'll be able to have these ready made kits with everything you need, curriculum. Trying to tie it to the the state curriculum, but that changes a lot, and that way the students can the teachers can see what we have online, and they can take these and incorporate them into their curriculum.
2: So, you talk about the state curriculum. How much input do you have t- into that? Do science teachers? Do you have any input into that? I don't. I How would, don't. would you change it in in any way? Do you find it uh, in any way limiting, or should have should include more things?
3: Um, I. So far, I, don't, I have an 11-year-old, and so I've seen what, what he's done so far. And you, up until recently, he's mm-hmm. had the science lab. Um, but he's learning a, a variety of things. He's mm-hmm. Right now, they're working on space, so he knows more about that than me now.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. well, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, so what about the David uh, Thibodeau STEM Academy? Do you partner with them on a lot of these things?
3: I do. I did one STEM kit a couple years ago, and I did work with one of their teachers to to implement that in their classroom.
2: Mm-hmm. That's great. The, I think people, to me, the Science Museum is like one of the best-kept secrets in Lafayette. Yeah,
3: we don't want it to be a secret. <laughs> no, and I, that's
2: why I was going to ask you. How, how are you marketing it to let pe- more people know who you are, where you are, what you do, that kind of thing?
3: That That is what I had a conversation earlier today about mm-hmm. that. Um, we've got some billboards at UL that we're, we're putting it on. We're revamping our website to get more information there. A lot of the stuff's on social media, but that kind of doesn't seem to reach the people until after the event has passed. Um, so it's done a couple of TV promotion mm-hmm. things, but we're hoping that like the STEM Saturdays or those other additional programmings mm-hmm. that kind of spread the word yeah. and get people in.
2: So the other part of the, what a lot of people don't realize that that was the Hyman grocery store, or that that was the retail store. The Science Museum was a retail store where the Children's Museum is right Behind you all used to be the grocery store. And it's, it's really uh, fascinating to me that um, those two things were on a separate track. And, and the Children's Museum got cranked up sooner than you all because it wasn't, you know, as government oriented, which took forever to get that done. But the Children's Museum, those ladies were amazing Mitzi Domino and Marvita Hudson and Renee Miller. Those were the three who really speared it. Do you do, do you? do programs with the Children's Museum because they do a lot of hands-on things and, and some of it is related to science. Mm-hmm.
3: A little bit. So we are um, working together a little bit this summer for their camps mm-hmm. that they'll come over and for our planetarium show this summer. Um, so we're starting to develop more of those relationships. The first, we were trying to get things up and running and figure out how to, to work everything mm-hmm. with the staffing that mm-hmm. we have and how to best give the, our visitors the best experience they can. And now we're having the ability to reach out a little bit more.
2: So we used to hang out at the Planetarium all the time <laughs> when it was in the oil center. You know, they had almost like midnight shows and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some of the greatest, you know, the Fantasia movie that they would project. Yep. So do you do things like that now?
3: We're working up toward it.
2: Because um, to me, the Planetarium would be a terrific magnet Yes. for a lot of people to go and, and see these. There are so many great shows out there. And with that setup, it's so, it's so fabulous. Yeah. It really is. And it a lot is. of people don't even know. It's
3: there. Right. We're, um, technology moves quickly, and we haven't upgraded the planetarium in a while. So some of those new shows that we've looked into, we'd have to do some upgrading before we're able to do some of that. Right. And so that's uh, another thing that we're looking at to consider sponsorship or naming. Is somebody from the management. university running the uh, the planetarium side? or um, Not currently. Our students are running those shows Um Everybody knows Dave Hostetter, the, the oh, yeah. museum curator. Yeah. he's graciously volunteering his time right now to help keep it up and running.
2: Well, he is a great guy. Yes. All right. Do you have packages that families uh, can you know can buy into or whatever, and you're, they can go to your website and get all the information yes. that they need? The
3: information is on our website, okay. um, which we are revamping. Just be patient with us. Yeah. Um, we do have memberships that are available, and they are good for the whole year. Um, I think they believe at, they start at. Or 65 for individuals, and then go up from there. You can have the dual for 100, family at 125, or some porting for 275, which includes. So um, that gets you into everything. It gets you into everything. A discount to the store. Mm-hmm. The the larger ones give you um, a tour of the mm-hmm. the exhibits in the the backstage area.
2: So what what you were talking about a planetarium program that's coming up. So what which one is that that. Is it a special program that's coming up? Or no. is it a, an exhibit that you were talking about? I'm trying to remember. You said there was something coming oh, up Oh, we,
3: we have a, a couple of new exhibits coming, and one of them is the history of the planetarium. And so we'll be looking back at the old days where we were making our own projectors. Well, they were out of baby food jars. Uh-huh. Yes. And so where we are today. So that's one of the um, new exhibits in the works. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and you said another one. There was another yeah. one.
3: So the, one of the, my favorite parts of teaching is we have a paleo concentration now in geology, and with that, we have uh, a museum class, Museum Method. So my class is currently putting together a new exhibit. The last week in April is festival. I'm not sure of the timing, mm-hmm. if we can get everything done, but mm-hmm. it'll be about local fossils yeah. in Acadiana. So they're creating the content. We're um, in the process of pulling together fossils to, to highlight w- the kind of fossils that we have in Louisiana um, and what people should be looking for and bring to our attention. Yeah. How are our fossils different
2: from others.
3: Um from other places I've worked these are definitely the youngest I've I've worked. Oh okay. With. Yeah. Yeah. Um and also mostly the fossils I've worked with have been found in deserts so in nice dry conditions, but in Louisiana I'm standing in a bayou and hip waders or <laughs> chest waiters and and looking underwater. <laughs> yeah, cuz you know most people think
2: about uh Indiana Jones, yeah, right? And yeah. and the archaeologists out there digging in the desert and yeah. all that kind of stuff.
3: Yeah, we're, but in Louisiana it's in the bayou.
2: It is fascinating though because I've seen some uh, stories about like in New York and when you go way deep down into like the subway system and way deep down in there and they find all kind of interesting things Mm -hmm. down there that you you see the big city you know uh, above the concrete and you don't think about what went before or you go to Pompeii Mm -hmm. and you see all the things that they're still uncovering in Pompeii have you been there at any of those other kinds of sites because it seems to me that that would be kind of fascinating yeah it
3: is it is you know we're i find we're so focused on what we're doing right now all the time we're trying to be ready for tomorrow but to stop and think about what's here before us Mm -hmm. i think is one of the things that draws me to paleontology you know the world's all connected no matter where or when we lived and to be able to see what it looked like in the geologic past right here where we live is quite interesting yeah it
2: is interesting it really is all right we're going to wrap it up with jennifer hargrave she is dr jennifer hargrave (laughs) she's the director of the lafayette science museum and um Jennifer, we really appreciate you coming in today. Sure, absolutely.
3: Thanks for inviting me.
2: You bet. Um, And now I want to get into a personal, a little bit of a personal um, moment right here because the Lafayette Science Museum, the Children's Museum, the ACA, a lot of these, actually the downtown, the way it looks today, it all began with the gentleman that we just lost, uh, and that's the former mayor, Dud Uh Dud was one of the most conservative people you will ever meet in your life. However, he had some really smart people working for him, and they envisioned a downtown that was much more friendly to folks and um, could rescue a, a failing, I mean, the, the core, the heart of our city was was not what it looks like today, believe me. It was tragic what had happened. Douglas Straps, Kathy Weber, she was the head of the Downtown Development Authority, Phil Lank was Community Development, Uh, of course, Uh, Bertha Bernard was in there. Uh, There were a lot of folks who worked in community development who envisioned what the downtown would look like today. And for that reason, we have some great institutions down here, like the Science Museum, like the Children's Museum, like the Catiana Center for the Arts. Uh, And and what it all started was with Streetscape. I mean, we had some council members who were, you know... uh, really worked hard for this uh at the time it was uh, Wilfred pierre he was on the council nancy mounts was on the council and look we had the big arguments over the money we're going to do this with the money what are we going to do with the money you know and i think that it has been proven uh very wise investments in reinvesting in our downtown the downtown still has a lot of issues there's no question about that you hear me talk about them all the time and not always fondly or favorably but um but we have a downtown that is an identical arts and culture district. And I can remember uh, when Douglas Straps put together Vision Lafayette, and I was a co-director along with the late, great Doug Ashey. And we brought together 465 volunteers. And it was in desperation, truly, because it was right in the middle of the oil bust. And we were groping for ways to diversify our economy in Lafayette because we were so dependent on oil and gas. Now, I love oil and gas. I'm crazy about fossil fuels. I think they are the way to go for the future, uh, for, the, for the foreseeable future. Will there be alternatives? I'm sure there will be. But all of those alternatives have their issues. So. When the oil and gas industry just went bust in the early 80s, we had to figure out a way. And that's when Douglas Straps called together 465 volunteers in seven task forces that looked at every aspect of our community to figure out where do we go from here. And th- the best thing about this was Dud would let people he, – he wasn't one to micromanage. He would let people set them on a path, this is what we want to do. We need to look at our community. We need to bring our community forward. How are we going to do it? And many of these people in tourism, in transportation, in education, in healthcare, care, uh, going right down the line, had never talked to each other about what they were doing in their area. How are we going to coordinate and make this an actual identifiable district in downtown and then strengthen this? This was our weakest link. In Lafayette, it was the downtown at the time. Since then, some significant investments have been made in downtown, um, and I think it was it was a good investment. Do I think downtown should be ready to stand on its own? I do, but there are some institutions down here that are really important and would not have gotten off the ground without a leader like former mayor, late Dud Lestraps. So I have to give kudos to Dud. He was a such a good man. I mean, in the most fundamental ways, he was a good man. And to tell you how good he is, in the depth of the oil bust, in 1985, Dudley Straps was able to commit, convince this community to vote for a one-cent sales tax. Now, you got to really understand how insane that was. The last time we had voted for a one-cent sales tax was 1961 under the other great mayor that a lot of people don't know, Jay Rayburn Bertrand. So... Ray Bertrand and Dudley Straps. When you have leadership, trusted leadership, people will go with you. People will believe in you. People will do what you need to do. And so that's why we, I say all the time, we have got to have trust. We have got to restore trust in our government to be able to move forward. And that's what, that's what Dudley Straps did. He embodied a truthful, honest, good man. And that is why we have a lot of things, including the Science Museum and the Children's Museum. And uh, they did Streetscape way back then, investing in our downtown, and festivals, etc. Um, it has been a great ride, and a lot of it was put in place by Dudley Straps and Vision Lafayette. That was his great program and his legacy. I know Rhonda and his family will miss him greatly. I think, I think often of what Doug accomplished. He was a great mayor and a good man. We'll take it away, Blah. We'll take it away, and we'll be right back on the Ross Report. Don't go away.
3: Put your money on the table and drive it off the Turn on that old love light. Turn it maybe to the